everyone. Welcome again to our Undoing Radio season. What are we up to here? Seven? Episode de? We will be addressing um, the last bit of Darlene's email to me from last week that I kind of just tossed aside as, eh, I don't know what this is. I reread it, I pondered it, and I think I know what to do with it. Oh, yes. This season, we are taking inspiration from the Living Mystery Symposium 2021. Um, and I haven't even gotten to the guest speakers yet. <laughs> Just all my inspiration so far has come from this one uh, set of questions from Darlene. So, mahalo, Darlene. Um, we're going to get into the trickster, and it's the perfect, really, um, it's the perfect sort of fusion episode, I guess, with Peritopia, which relaunched um, last Friday. I, I relaunched Peritopia. So every Friday from now until eternity, it feels like, you'll be uh, hearing Peritopia on Fridays in this feed. And uh, one of the uh, elements of Peritopia that became sort of a fast and steady uh, bit to ponder and to flesh out. And, you know, in our lives as well, not just the show. I mean, the show was sort of a reflection of our lives. And Jeff went on to do Paranormal Waypoint and I went on to do the experience. And we both carried with us lessons and questions from the trickster archetypal element uh, that seems to pervade ufology and um, paranormal activity. And um, this came to us thanks to George Hansen in his um, Trickster in the Paranormal book. That's his book, but really from, for me anyway, um, from interviewing him. Uh, and it's interesting in going back and listening to our first interview with him in Paratopia. And he's talking about the Trickster, and I just don't even understand what he's saying. Like, I'm not buying it. And I forgot about that. It's interesting to listen back and, and remember, like, what my own learning curve was, because I just think, like, ah, oh, I always embraced that. I didn't. You can hear my skepticism in our first interview. And uh, But Jeff latched right onto it. He got it completely, it seems. And um, not only do you hear that he gets it, but you, I mean, if you listen closely, you can hear how much that affects him. It's so interesting. Um, I think I might have even talked about this in the intro episode to Paratopia, so maybe I won't belabor it, except to say that it's just like he's making a discovery in George Hansen that so affects his life. It's like his own eureka moment, and he's so grateful. You can hear it in his voice. You can always hear that in Jeff's voice every time there's an aha moment for him um, during Paratopia or just in life. Um, there was always this sort of uh, like little kid quivering kind of almost on the verge of tears of both joy and, and relief of like, Oh God, this is it. Yeah. Finally, somebody, somebody understands me. I can relate to this. I can sink my teeth into this. This is a lead. Um, because I, I think when Jeff embraced the unknown, he embraced it with fear and distrust and uh, sort of rubbed against the grain of his own experiencing. And there is a fear component that, especially with the alien stuff, that is, I, I believe, inherent to the situation. Um, but if you don't understand it that way, it can color how you think about 
all of it. I mean, why wouldn't it, right? Like, it's just the obvious go-to. I feel terror, therefore I'm being terrorized. And, you know, living in a society that doesn't even care to understand any of this, which is just now sort of re-embracing at least ufology. It seems to re-embrace ufology uh, once a decade or so. But it's always from, um, like, the shallowest, most surface level uh, that you can find. And Jeff was a person of depth. So he, uh, he, he, he swam those depths and he held his breath because he was afraid of drowning, not realizing that he had gills. Um, in any event, you can find Jeff holding his breath and especially when I'm sitting in his fart chair in his living room. <laughs> <laughs> on Paratopia, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, you can get there through Paratopia.net or if you uh, follow the winding Moostez path uh, through OurIndoing.com, you can get there that way. Um, so everything's free now, but that doesn't mean I've released everything to the freedom. <laughs> to freedom. Meaning what? Meaning that uh, all the sections are open, but not all of the material in those sections is is available. Um, I still do have lifetime members. They stu- still do get first dibs on everything. Um, but also it helps me to just, like even with the essays especially, like I can uh, I can look back over them, edit them, proofread them again, and then uh, release them publicly. So lifetime members, basically, sorry, you got like a rough draft <laughs> and everyone else gets the uh, published material. Uh, so <laughs> you get the stuff that's not meant for human eyes. Uh, and then the rest of the public, um, gets the good stuff. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for your money. Um, <laughs> so there are sections, but there's more material in those sections than you're seeing right now. Just waiting for me to uh, click the go live button because um, that way I can stay ahead of everything. And not again, not feel like I have to constantly be creating new stuff for everyone. Um, and why, why would I <laughs> now that everything's free? What am I getting out of it? And here's the thing. Originally I made our undoing.com uh, a pay site well, maybe back up. Um, and all of this will be relevant, I promise. Originally made uh, Paratopia, Jeff and I, um, that was free originally. And then we moved to subscription because uh, we could. We had enough listeners and they were rabid and they would pay. Oh, yes, they would pay. And um, I mean, just to be honest, I think Jeff wouldn't have gone on if we didn't do that because uh, there was so much crap being flung our way from all corners for a variety of reasons that it was losing the fun factor. The reason that we started doing it in the first place. Um, so for him, it was only worth going on if we made people pay, uh, that way we're getting paid to do this. So we can't complain, um, when we're getting crap thrown at us because we're getting paid for it. And that makes sense. And if I haven't made this clear, I probably think I'm just overstating things again. But like Jeff Ritzman was my 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 brother, my buddy, my uh, my broadcast partner, and he has passed away. Uh, this is why I'm re-releasing Paratopia and all of that to keep his voice in the air. 
Speaking of voices in the air, do you hear those ducks? <laughs> Having ducks is like living with tricycle horns. It's just a bunch of like, or like floppy clown shoes that just constantly go off. Yeah, like that. Meanwhile, I just took a moment to go check on the ducks, and they're fine. A couple of smaller birds are invading their territory. Ooh. Um. Okay, where was I? Yes. So that's why. Uh, that's why we we made you pay with Paratopia. But now, um, now that he's gone, it doesn't feel right to do that. We were selling the archive. I'm not even selling the archive anymore. I'm just going to do this free release and then it will live forever online somewhere. Um, with our undoing, it was kind of a preemptive version of Paratopia, which is, I really didn't want to deal with trolls and jerks. So, uh, but I also didn't really want people to have to pay forever, like a subscription. So I thought, well, I'll put down a flat fee It'll be a large chunk up front and then never again. And this will pay for the website and it'll pay for uh, guest speakers who we would, you know, Carol and I would fly to Hawaii and we would have symposiums and stuff. And and then we would put that online for subscribers and all of that. Uh, COVID kind of killed part of that dream. And I've been toying with the idea of getting rid of it. Uh, I, I've come up with various ways over the last few years to... Uh, even stifle that financial blow. Like if we, if enough people, X amount of people buy it and I raise this much money, then I will give away for free. Um, or here, you know, to, to somebody who needs it, who you know doesn't have any money or, you know, here's a half off sale, whatever it is. But these things just, they feel wrong now. And I think my last ditch in my head attempt like an aha moment of like, okay, here's how I do the financial thing is why don't I have Paratopia be completely free and then just make um, our undoing the, uh, the pay model, go back to making everything on our undoing because I've got enough material now, put that behind a paywall and that will be ever evolving. And so it's kind of like if you, uh, you graduate from Paratopia into this sort of transcendent spirituality. Um, it'll be like graduation, and and you know why wouldn't you want to pay for that? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't that be worth your money? And then the more I got to thinking about that, I thought, oh wait, isn't that how cults work? Isn't that like Scientology in a way? And then I got to thinking more about Scientology and how um, at the center of it is this fiction. And my own work, which uh, I am to tell you this and I am to tell you it is fiction, is a speculative work, essentially. Uh, There's a speculative fiction involved. But my speculative fiction is, like, I suspect this is true, a lot of this stuff, but I haven't um, experienced it. It just came to me in the way that that insights do this all at once. Boom. Aha. Here it is. Boom. On, you know, fully manifested, logically coherent way of viewing the unknown or, or unknown aspects of, uh, existence, but I haven't experienced them. It's not like, like the stuff in urgency, which is all, uh, autobiographical, um, stuff, including the insights, which all flowed from, 
um, a, a period of time where I was uh, coming alive with uh, truth as knowledge, you know, truth coming through as knowledge, which I think is one thing that happens to people as they quote unquote wake up and then we jot it down and we sell it to you. <laughs> and if we're lying to ourselves and or you, we sell it to you saying this will help you. This is what you can do to get what we have. And it's not true. Um, it's what what comes through naturally when the self isn't there to block it out. And uh, I, I made all that clear, I think, in urgency. So I wasn't selling you a load of garbage. Um, but I am to tell you this and I'm to tell you it is fiction, maybe a load of garbage in some sense, uh, which is why I pretty much say that, uh, right up front because I don't want you, you know, it's in the title. I'm to tell you this and I'm to tell you it is fiction. So in a certain sense, it's like Paratopia in that it's, um, a mixture of autobiographical stuff and speculative stuff and, um, I believe it to be true, but I believe its function to be to put you in a mind of depth so that you uh, ask yourself questions, so that you ponder these things. And it gets your imagination going in that way, not in like a shallow surface way of like an inventor or a cartoonist or something, <laughs> but like, you know, the the imaginal realm sense of imagination. I wanted to bring you to the underworld, essentially, and then you get to fight demons. Good luck. Um, so when I was thinking about, like, Scientology and, like, the speculative fiction of some sort of troll sitting in the center of the Earth and whatever the deal is with aliens, it's like they they put out something for free, the hook, something that is useful. And all religions do this, right? You've got the free thing, the hook. And it may be something useful that is just um, self-help. It may be something useful that is um, reflecting your psychological needs and wants back at you so that you get interested in uh, the form of desire and uh, validation for your unhealthy mental state. Um, You know, that's what cults do generally. Um, or it may be spiritual truths or something along those lines. You know, it may be the good stuff that is the hook. But there's always the hook. And then that reels you in to uh, pay something. Pay with your time, with your life, with your work, with your sex. Whatever it is, oh, you'll pay. And then it reels you further in. And the, even the paying, you know, uh, at that point where cults probably diverge from religion is that with cults, there may not be anything more useful because the premise was a lie. Um, in other words, you know, catering to your psychological baggage is not spirit, right? And so what if, if you're drawn into that and then you are willing to pay with one of the above or more, yeah, you better plaster a smile on your face and make your eyes real wide and start telling everyone how lovely this is because you've got to start believing it yourself because something in the back of your mind is telling you to run. Uh, With religion, with established religions, it's um, a little bit more relaxed than that. And there might be more spirituality. There might be more sense of genuine community, um, giving and all of that. 
But then there's that sweet spot, even with the religions, <laughs> with Scientology. There's the troll at the center of the earth. There's the revelations. There's the Jesus did these things that are miraculous and then rose from the dead. There's, you know, <laughs> go down the list of stuff. There's the miraculous and the uh, unknowable, the work of fiction that if you go deep enough, they'll finally reveal this stuff to you. If you pay the right price, if you have the right demeanor, then you'll learn the the mysticism of it, the real truthier truth that the rabble don't even get to learn. And I'm saying all this, and it sounds cynical, but I'm wondering if that's not just the way this stuff unfolds in the universe through thought. Like, this is the way the universe keeps us universal, keeps us here, keeps us time-bound entities. Keeps us, period. Because keeping us is keeping the universe. We are that. It's keeping itself here by keeping us here in a certain sense. And so when someone like me has the types of experiences that I do throughout my life, um, do I follow that same pattern? And essentially, like... Uh, the alien abduction ponderings, and let's put that in quotes, alien abduction, you know, most of you probably know, I believe it is neither alien nor abduction, but whatever. I've had these experiences, and so um, that's the hook. That's the thing that everyone knows and understands. And then once you're hooked in into me and my sensibilities, well, then I, as I, in my life, uh, have the spiritual transcendent stuff, well, that's when I've got you with urgency, Right? That's the spirituality stuff. No longer just the hook, but you're hooked. You're hooked on me and my sensibilities and the way that I speak. And um, then you're ready to hear the deeper stuff. And all of this is true so far, right? All of these um, from I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land, my first book to Urgency, these are both true. Um, whatever that means. I mean, I'm not lying, right? I'm not lying and I'm not presenting fiction. Um, but then we get to, I'm to tell you this and I'm to tell you it is fiction. And the book itself is set up in such a way as to hide itself. So it's speculative fiction, but it is of a, a depth and a quality that to me says it's probably real. And this time, this fiction is hiding in the depths of the book and the shallow surface. The cover story for it is that this is a sequel to I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land that has gone awry. And so you have to be the type of person who is willing to go through the humor, the biographical detail, the stories in the beginning of it to get to that depth. But that depth uh, may be fiction. But unlike Scientology, I'm telling you that. <laughs> Does all this make sense? So I don't want the website to be that, right? Like I'm seeing this. I'm seeing this in myself. I'm seeing how I am unfolding like a religion or like a cult. Um, just in the way that I'm writing things and the way that I'm doing things. And, and furthermore, in my last thought on how to uh, make money on this website, how to keep it going financially so that Carol and I aren't footing the bill. Um, or, you know, there's always a part of the bill we're going to foot, but all of the bill. Uh, and the fact that this came to me and then I thought, well, wait a minute, this sounds awful cult-like. 
come for the hook of Paratopia, stay for our undoing, and then, oh, if you're really, if you're really daring, go into the depths of, um, you know, I'm to tell you this, and I'm to tell you it is fiction, which is, in fact, a section of the website now. So I think the only way to do this and not follow that template is to put it all out for free. That way you can pick and choose what it is you want to look at. And I'm not guiding you except in the sense of, you know, telling you that uh, two of the three things are rabbit holes. You know, you could follow Peritopia and end up on a hero's journey. You could follow I Am To Tell You This and I Am To Tell You It Is Fiction and end up in your own co-mingled belief system with mine. But if you read Our Undoing, the rest of Our Undoing properly, uh, the revelations are yours to have. They're not from me. This is just simply telling you to shut up <laughs> over and over again in different language until you finally get like, oh, right, I should shut up now. And uh, the self dissolves and then truth becomes you, you know? But I think the other the other two things have their place. And so it's all free. And um, so I'll, I'll just put up, a. Uh, by the time you see this, there will just be a donations tab. You can donate to the site if you want. Um, as little or as much as you want, although I'll probably have a minimum of five bucks just because I think that makes sense. What with, you know, you have to pay whoever it is. Stripe is what I, I don't use PayPal. I use Stripe. Um, and they get their cut. So five bucks gets us a couple of bucks. And that makes sense. Donate if you want, however much you want. But if you're somebody who's like a lifetime member or just somebody from the Paratopia days who already put in a ton of money, please don't. I feel like it's always the same set of people who are kind enough to pay. And I feel like you've paid enough. You know, this is the other thing about all of this is paying is um, everything online is pay now. And it just, I think I said this before. Maybe I even said this last week. My memory is going. But uh, I, uh, everything is just so convoluted now. Everything is money. Everything wants to steal your attention, right? Like you get unwanted newsletters. You get pop-up ads that say, have you done this? You get like warnings about cookies and what we do with your information. I don't want to do anything with your information. I don't want your information. I don't want to send you a crappy newsletter that you're going to not want to get anymore. I don't want to do any of that. I, I just, I really want, if I have a want, it is for that one person to get this so much that they, that they dissolve. You know, I know it ain't going to be everyone. Um, but if it's one, that's great. Uh, that's it. Um, and really, I just, I, you know, more selfishly, I suppose, I need an outlet because this is the way that my beady brain works now. My heart and my brain in conjunction. So I need to um, articulate these things because that's what I do. And if I don't uh, do it online, I'm just going to be babbling to myself um, in a cave, divorced from my wife, who is not going to want to hear these things anymore. So, <laughs> and nobody wants that. So, okay, now let's circle back to the original thing. Um, oh, yes, these will, these will come together, I'm sure. Darlene was talking about the trickster here at the end of her set of questions, and she says I, uh, she was asking about um, are there people who don't have souls? 
And then she gives an example here, and I guess I didn't put these two things together, and that's why I didn't get what she was saying. But she gives the example of in The Matrix, one of the protagonists creates a woman in a red dress who's not real, but she affects people around her. She's a distraction. She's for amusement. She's for entertainment purposes. And then she's saying she doesn't necessarily see this in terms of good and bad, but in some, uh, if some people have no souls, might they be that trickster element that that I mention and that really Jeff and I mention so often. And um, so this is, I, I mentioned tulpas in the last episode of like, it sounds like tulpas. Yeah, this does sound like what you're talking about is some sort of, uh, what a body that, that doesn't house a soul that is essentially a finger puppet of an entity called the trickster who can sort of, I guess, make these people appear and disappear at will. I mean, presumably they weren't born, right? They're just sort of tulpas. They're like created by concentrated will and obsession, but not ours. Some archetype called the trickster. And um, I'm going to say no. There aren't people like that, at least through the trickster. I, I don't know that George Hansen would agree with me, but... I don't know that he would disagree because I haven't asked him. <laughs> so I'm now going to read to you from, I am to tell you this and I'm to tell you it is fiction. Um, this is towards the end of the book. It's a conversation between a mysterious voice and myself. This is a Socratic dialogue. It's not channeled. It's not, um, this is part of the fiction, right? Except this answer about the trickster uh, came fully formed. So um, I didn't do a whole lot of thinking about it, in other words. It just sort of came to me. It just popped into my head, which makes leads me to believe that it, it's probably true. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what the trickster may be, and uh, you can see if, you, if this jives with you, if you agree with it. The uh, mysterious voice says, Archetypes are you, but not you. They are the personas you drift in and out of and can be read as characters in morality plays, myths, and so forth, but they also seem to have a life of their own. There's something peculiar about, for instance, the trickster. Trickster is no petty symbol for mischief and mystery that you may experience anywhere in the world merely because it is a universal story about a trait of the human character. No. To enter the field of trickster is to have your life actually go haywire, right? And then me, as a character, say, yes! And the voice says, and so here you are, trying to figure it out. Is trickster a life form? Does it live symbiotically with you? Or are you fantasy prone? Are you going crazy and reading into things that aren't there? But in oneness, these are not questions. Archetypes are thought forms. They are formless awarenesses, hyper-focused personas, which in you would be as keys on the piano of your person. And then I say, the way you explain archetypes brings to mind a conscious fog bank of ideas that express a single feeling we waft in and out of through mood swings and pressures in life. And then the mystery voice makes a joke about something else he had been talking about and then says, um, what you suggest is also a valid way to visualize it. If you can picture those ideas as landscapes, feelings, and choices. Ideas become landscapes. When you consciously commune with the archetype in a visionary way, they remain feelings and choices when you unconsciously identify as the persona. 
And then I say, but Trickster seems different. And he says, Trickster would. And I say, well, true, but why? Trickster phenomena happens at you. If I enter the sphere of the sage archetype, for example, I behave accordingly as I try to figure out the world, but the world isn't coming alive around me and attacking me with, with a smirk. Trickster seems to be an entity who actively throws roadblocks at us, lies, and is ultimately corrosive if we're not paying attention. Am I wrong? And that's kind of where uh, Darlene's question comes in, right? Um, you know, here I am saying Trickster seems to be an entity who actively throws roadblocks at us. Um, the world comes alive around us, really, and attacks us. So in that sense, yeah, why couldn't Trickster just pick up some putty and form a human and <laughs> screw with us? And uh, the mystery voice says, earlier in this book, you wrote that in one's refusal to transcend and include the rational, one gives life to Trickster. This is an aspect of what happens. But the bigger issue is not one of rationality per se. The bigger issue is one of shallows and depth. To that end, your favorite psychologist, Carl Jung, came to understand through firsthand experience in the underworld that people have two distinct personas, one who is surface and of the modern times, and one who is much deeper and connected with death. And then I make a bunch of jokes. And then the mystery voice continues after I'm done being stupid and says, you experience yourself as a shallow person and as a deep person. When you experience yourself mainly as a shallow person, a category that includes intellectuals, not just yesterday's pop singers, and you come upon the depths, you give great resistance to being the deep person. Why? What does it mean to be shallow and deep? And I say, shallow is surface, like you're saying. Some people equate that with being artificial, but I don't think they are synonymous. I mean, they can be, but shallow, if I have to put a fine point on it, I think to be shallow is to overly identify with the obvious. And then you keep hiding the depths of yourself from yourself. The more you do that, the more fearful you become of your own buried nature. And the voice says, true. Now let's put a microscope to it. Simply put, depth is the universe's death realm. And this is what I was trying to say last week, by the way, folks. Depth is the universe's death realm. Repressing what you fear, burying it, forms the ground between you and death. It is the dirt you must dig through to reach the underworld. The shallow self has to recede to engage with death. This is not the total annihilation of self, yet it is what most mean when they refer to ego death. They mean the shallow self, relinquishing control to deep self. This is what happens in a flash with all hallucinogens, which is why anyone who clings to their shallow self when tripping experiences fear. When they give up and go with the flow, they have a much better trip. And I say, but then why are deep people also often deeply flawed people if they had to unpack their fears and psycho baggage to achieve said depth? Shouldn't they be over themselves? And the voice says, not necessarily, and for reasons you already understand in different contexts. Working out one's fears and personal issues creates a strong self, a deep self, one that may travel into death. This is not the annihilation of self, but the reformation of self. The death realm of the universe, the human underworld, these are the interiority of the universal self, and therefore the personal self, which exists within the universal self. They are active. They are imaginal. They are not, in other words, nothingness. And then the conversation goes on for a little bit. Uh, and then we circle back to Trickster, and the mystery voice says, well, I say, yeah, but Trickster seems to selfishly screw with us. And the mystery voice says, 
Trickster is the one who screws with you during betwixt and between moments. Trickster resides in you, betwixt and between the shallow and deep persona. What exactly is the nature of Trickster's activity? It's to call reality as you know it into question for long enough to remind the shallow self that it needs to relinquish control to engage the depths. So maybe I'll end the reading there and just talk a little bit about that. Um, So essentially we're talking about, there's the, as we talked about a little last week, there's the shallow self, the surface self, the everyday self. And then there's the self of the depths when you're alone, when you're contemplating, meditating, yada, yada, Um, or on hallucinogens. (laughs) And, It's funny when you're on hallucinogens and you become this tiny little voice in the back of your own head going, help squeak. That's the, um, you, the shallow self taking a back seat. And if you don't go with the flow, if you don't immerse yourself in the experience, um, much like we talked about Jeff in the beginning, uh, much like most people, you remain scared and, um, really horrified at what's going on to you. Because you don't admit that the rest of that rush, that flow, that uh, what was formerly um, unconscious, not just your unconscious baggage, but collective unconscious even, is you. And when you keep it as an other and, and it's in the foreground, that makes you feel like you're trapped in the background. I experienced this with my uh, mushroom trip. In any event, I digress. So in terms of ufology, well, let's... Stick with this. The shallows and the depths. What is trickster? Trickster, in terms of ufology, is a reminder that these are topics of the depths. And it does no good to just think about them and read books and uh, pontificate and have shallow imaginings about them in terms of what we already know or suspect or have projected for the future like aliens coming here. Trickster is the aliveness of the betwixt and between moment. The, the moment in this case is betwixt and between the shallow and the deep, which anyone who engages ufology is, is there. If, especially if they don't know which lens to properly view this stuff through. So when we start bringing, this deep subject into the shallows trickster says, ah, 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 nah, ah. Um, and we do this with our dumb answers. We do this with our going rabbit hole to rabbit hole of dumb answers that seem deep to us simply because, um, they trigger our adrenaline, <laughs> right? Like they're doing something to us physiologically, the act of moving about that way. Uh, because we don't have a culture that engages in depth with any, like, meaning with any cultural context or, or acceptance just ain't there. So when we do it on our own blindly um, and we do it in wrong ways, it triggers those same physiological mechanistic chemical uh, releases, I guess. And so we then just intuitively, we think we're there, we're onto something and we're not, we've just um, stimulated ourselves. <laughs> Uh, in in the vein of a depth stimulation, but it ain't a depth stipu- stimulation. And, and so we keep tripping over our own feet because it feels like we're walking. <laughs> it 
feels like we're walking correctly. We are moving somewhere, but then we keep stumbling over our own feet. And instead of realizing that we're walking wrongly and correcting the way that we move our legs and feet, uh, we just continue to stumble along. And then we go, well, that's human nature. No, you're just a lazy idiot. <laughs> Earth. <laughs> Humanity. So in this sense, there's like a twofold thing going on that Trickster is doing. One is, and they're both the same thing, but they're different. They're like diametrically opposed aspects of the same thing, which is one calling out the fact that, that these are subjects of the, of the depths of the interiority of the universe of death. But two keeping that, or I shouldn't say it's keeping that when we're keeping that, in the shallows, we're tripping over our own feet and calling that deep, loving it, forming thought bubbles around that and philosophies around that and, and suppositions around the tripping um, instead of correcting ourselves. Because to correct ourselves fully would be to understand all of this so deeply that we personally dissolve. And in that dissolving, the energy that is parallel to us, if you want to call it that, or maybe parallels wrong, but maybe transcends and includes all of this, including the universal. That becomes the case. Truth becomes us. And the universe doesn't want truth to become us. The universe, well, the universe wants it to become us as an experience, as a state that we visit to bring novelty to itself, to bring novelty into the universe. And this creates more and more universe, more interior experiencing and more things that we can imagine and bring out into the world. If this makes sense to you, this is kind of how it works. And I'm telling you this for free because until you become not you anymore, <laughs> it's fiction for you. You don't know it's true. So, why lie to yourself and say, oh, I'm on to something here. This really, I mean, whether it's true or not, it's not true for you. As the experience of you, it may ring true philosophically or, you know, in some way like that. So I don't think that there is an entity called Trickster who's bringing forth into the world soulless people for like nefarious reasons or just to screw with us or for no reason. I think the Trickster archetype is, is like, like, means a, a simile, <laughs> similar to, not an exact, meaning I'm not saying we're a program here, folks, but it is like a program, uh, like a computer program that sort of turns on when you're, when you're dealing with, with issues of the depths, but trying to bring them to the surface instead of relinquishing your surface self to the depths. And that betwixt and between moment trickster makes you stumble and like any good ouchie it is to tell you that you're hurting yourself <laughs> you're doing it wrong you're you're flowing in the wrong direction and then also if such a one does understand oneself so deeply that the surface and and um deep persona both come to an end that all of you comes to an end whatever you experience in that moment when you come back resurrected as U 2.0, well, the universe via the trickster element will be right there to greet you. 
<laughs> to try to take what you got and contextualize it, absorb it within to the universe, within to the fabric of the universe. From the timeless perspective, all of this is always already happening and it's fine. From within time, um, it feels like an unfolding and it may suck. So there you go. Um, I know that's a lot. I know these are, I mean, this is a short amount of time, this podcast, and there are a few words spoken really, but I think it's a lot to take in, uh, especially if you haven't thought about it this way. And I know George Hansen would say, at least in the past, he would say it, it, uh, it does no good to ask why the trickster works the way this pattern or these, these sets of patterns work the way they do. Uh, it's just you need to note them. And in a sense, that's always true because to answer why is the problem, not to ask it, but to answer it. If you're asking why to give an answer, just like all the spiritual stuff we talk about, then it's coming from you. And that's where Trickster gets you because it can't come from this shallow self. It can't come from you, your thought, from your taking from your past knowledge and putting these puzzle pieces together in your head and then projecting, aha, the answer. Um, it's more alive than that. It's from the depths, right? But uh, in the sense that I'm talking about it here, uh, sure, you can answer why. But you probably should say that it's fiction because then even the answer is in question, right? And you wonder why Sage is talking riddles. And you wonder why I spent all that time in the beginning talking about why I'm going to make this website completely free by the time you hear this. It's because I think the pay scheme that I came up with ultimately is, um, is that trickster element. (laughs) I think like looking ahead in time (laughs) and seeing how this plays out, this becomes another, I mean, it's not going to be a religion. I'm a little entity on the internet. So it becomes a minor cult at best. And that traps both you and me, and it keeps truth unalive. It keeps truth uh, dead in the universe as like uh, a landscape in a living program, a living program in death. And who the hell wants to tap into that? I mean, that's what we all tap into. But if we knew better, would we? And if we understood ourselves, if we understood the, the entity that I'm talking to right now, who makes such decisions, who ponders such things and says, yeah, I guess we wouldn't, or I don't know what the hell you're talking about, or no, uh, I like tapping into these things. It's cool. Whatever your position is or your ability to even understand what the hell is coming out of my mouth, if that person understood all of this so deeply that that person didn't exist... Would these questions even be questions? And when these questions are gone, what takes place? Is there an action that takes place? And if that action isn't your own, 